For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution continued to struggle as they had another disappointing result on the road with a 2-2 draw against the Chicago Fire. On the plus side, Carlos Hill and Thomas Chancelet scored goals. Clint Pierre earned his first point as interim head coach, and the Revs are officially in the playoffs. Yay! I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me tonight from the Blazing Musket is Sam Minton. Sam, how's it going? We haven't been on the show in three weeks. I assume we didn't miss anything important, did we? No, as soon as business as usual, no controversy, no packed press conferences featuring the Athletic and, you know, Tara Sullivan. I think it was just business as usual, no departures, uh, everything looking good for the future of the revolution. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but everything I think is fine, right? I, I think so. Last time we were on the show, I believe we were talking, the big controversy was Noel Buck wearing an England kit to the game. I imagine that is still at the front of everyone's mind. Uh, but we'll get into that. We'll get into some listener questions, see what's what's really uh, on the minds of our listeners today. But before we get into this game and anything else we may have missed over the past few weeks, I want to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. They are the presenting sponsors of this podcast. And football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information for all of your sports wagering info with all the up-to-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And Sam, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, Bruce Arena resigned? What? What? This is, this is news to me. I gotta say, I, this is, I did listen to the last couple of weeks of Revolution Recap. Uh, that Sean, uh, and I, I want to give a tip of the cap to Sean and Hayden uh, and Andy for covering this very well. Um, I think they've done a, a very good job of recapping the chaos uh patriot place over the past few weeks but i do want to give my take and hopefully the listeners don't mind me just kind of throwing out some bullet points that i think are worth re-emphasizing and i feel has kind of been passed over uh, in all the chaos but one 
I don't think Bruce Arena is a victim in any sort of way. I think, obviously, with the results, I think a lot of people are clamoring for Bruce Arena, but I think the fact that Major League Soccer would make him basically reapply uh, and, and file a petition to be reinstated to get a job in Major League Soccer, I think we can assume Bruce Arena did something that requires him to be removed from this position. I know he resigned, but I assume the revolution would have fired him if he refused to resign or major league soccer would have forced the hand uh, in him leaving. So I know he released a statement where it didn't sound like he admitted guilt, but I think it seems like the writing is on the wall that Bruce arena um, one way or another, the investigation was leading him out the door. And I, I can't imagine we see him at major league soccer again Two, I want to say Richie Williams should not have ever been put in charge of this team as an interim coach, not because he filed a complaint or anything like that. And I also don't think you legally, you get into some murky waters where you removing him from a situation, you can't retaliate against a, a whistleblower or someone who files a complaint. But the fact that Richie Williams is getting in fights with other assistant coaches uh, and, and having altercations with Shalry Joseph, obviously that was always going to lead to a very messy locker room. And I think the results are as predicted once that detail came out. Um, and I also am going to say, I know that Pablo Mar of The Athletic kind of hinted at this, but it sounds like... I'm impressed that the players were able to have such positive results because it sounds like this locker room has been a mess from a coaching standpoint. This There should have been some fires put out in the offseason, uh, and they should have found a much more cohesive coaching staff, it sounds like. Um, so I, I think Richie Williams never should have been the interim coach. I think what they've done now with Clint Pierre being elevated and put in charge, I think they got it right, but they got it right too late. I, I think that should have been done from day one, and I think that Brian Bolello doing a press conference after Richie Williams doing a press conference where he got sent out to the Wolves. Um, I think Bilal should have been out there on Monday uh, taking the hit uh, instead of waiting for Richie Williams to get absolutely scorched uh, and then doing his press conference afterwards. So I understand that there's probably some NDAs or, or I, I guess Charles Joseph hasn't signed an NDA or whatever, but I'm sure there is some sort of agreement that coaches and executives at the revolution in major league soccer, they can't talk about this. I, I'm sure there is, Something that we probably won't get the full story. And I feel like I tried giving some warnings out to people when we were talking about how come we're not hearing about it. And I, I said a few months ago or a few weeks ago that I think the real concern is they're not going to tell us what it is. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't get the full story or if we only get one side of the story. I, I think that's just how it's going to be. And um, yeah, it's disappointing. I think from a fan point standpoint, it kind of sucks. And right now it seems like it's torpedoing the season a little bit. So um, all of it sucks. But we march on. Sam, anything you want to add? Yeah, you know, definitely was talking about it a lot. Shout out to uh, Tommy Quinlan. We were on spaces basically every night that week, uh, kind of recapping the day's news. You know, I will kind of push back, you know. Uh, I apologize for forgetting what you said at the start, but it, Bruce Arena did kind of admit some wrongdoing, you know, in his statement. He said, finally, I know that I've made some mistakes and moving forward, I plan to spend some time reflecting on the situation and taking corrective steps to address what transpired. So, like you said, I definitely don't think Bruce is a victim. Uh, I think at the minimum something happened, and it doesn't really matter who reported it and the situation around that. MLS kind of came out and said there was some corrective action and that he would have to, you know, basically almost apply for reinstatement if he wished to, you know, get another coaching job or to work in the league. So it definitely seems like Bruce is guilty of something, uh, whether it was worthy of his job or what it may be, that that's up in the air. But I do think, like you mentioned, I don't know if he will ever 
hear about it. You know, maybe Bruce one day will do a tell-all. That wouldn't surprise me. But even myself, I've reached out to MLS to see if, obviously, if they would release it. I haven't gotten a comment. And, you know, also, too, if MLS Commissioner John Garber would release a statement about it. I haven't got a comment on that. Um, so it definitely feels like it's going to be hush-hush, kind of try and sweep everything under the rug and move on as quickly as possible. So it could be quite some time, or possibly we might never know uh, what happened. But like you mentioned, it was a very dysfunctional locker room. Coaches leaving trainings reportedly, physical altercations. Uh, it was absolutely chaotic, and it's almost impressive what the Reds were able to do in spite of that. But now you have a second-team head coach stepping up to the first team. You have clinched the playoff spot. But how far are you going to be able to go with him steering the ship? I did find it interesting. Uh, we might get into it when we talk about a little bit about tactics, but it seems like Clint Pia is being very collaborative. You know, he kind of came to the players regarding, you know, a formation change and tactics change, and they tried it out, and they said, oh, yeah, we're, we're liking this, so let's try it out. So he seems like he's going to be collaborative, not going to try and shake the boat. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how far, you know, if any, uh, you know, advancing they can do in uh, that loss playoffs. Well, you're kind of... You're kind of hitting on my key takeaway. Brought to you by The Rebellion. Go check them out at eddierebellion.org to learn more about their organization, how you can get involved with supporter culture. But my key takeaway here, actually, and I'm, I'm going to jump the line here. Normally, I, I let you get first tips, but I just want to say that Clint Pierre, he's going to he recognizes that the way Bruce was doing things or the way it was being done by his predecessors, it's not going to work going forward. Brandon Bay's absence is going to be a big issue. They need to do something differently, and he doesn't have a ton of time to do it. He can't bring in new players to fit in a new system. So this is a very unfair situation for a coach, make, not only stepping into a Major League Soccer head coaching role for the first time ever, but he's doing it with a dysfunctional locker room, with a shortened coaching staff. They basically brought in Tab Ramos as an assistant coach because he's available and he lives in New England. That's how I assume that's happening. Um, I believe Marcelo Santos is doing um, like double duty with Revs 2 and the first team. I, I believe he, he's a, still an assistant coach with both. Um, they're very short-staffed right now. This is his first major league co coaching soccer, ex uh, ex head coaching experience. And he can't change any of the pieces. I mean, he's really just getting thrown into the fire and is trying to do the best with a hand that's looks a lot like an eight, three split. Uh, it's not exactly pocket aces. So um, I think Clint Pierre tried some new things. Didn't get a great result. We'll talk about the inverted left back. We'll talk about Polster moving to the left. We'll talk about all that. Not all of it was gravy, but I'm encouraged that Clint Pierre is not just throwing out a lineup, which is the same exact thing that we've seen week after week after week, because that to me would seem like mailing it in and praying for the best. And it looks like, and, and I, you mentioned um, him bringing in the team. Omar Gonzalez talked about um, the system that they're trying to incorporate and they showed it and they, they ran it in practice a few times. And he said, everyone was all in on it. It seems like Clint Pierre is earning a little bit of trust with the players. And I don't know if it's going to work, but I give him a lot of credit for trying something a little bit different and, and throwing something out there because the old system, I, I don't think was going to have any chance going into the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely kind of a, a juggling uh, act for him because you have a lot of guys in that midfield that you're going to want to get into the games. You know, you saw no buck get into the starting 
11, that isn't something that we've been seeing as of late. Uh, you saw Ian Hartz have to go to the bench. You saw Andrew Farrell have to go to the bench. And, you know, while there's some holes in uh, the Revolution roster currently with, due to injuries and obviously, you know, players being transferred, such as Sergei Petrovic, um, they are pretty deep, especially in that midfield. So he does have some selection headaches. We were lucky enough to see Ima Boateng uh, get back out on the field coming off the bench. Um, so it seems like they're taking steps in the right direction to get the guys out there that they want to be in their preferred positions or best positions. Uh, but it still seems like there could be some tinkering going on to kind of fine-tune things as you head into that MLS Cup playoffs. I'm also a little concerned that we're – and maybe it'll take a little bit of time to, again, figure it out. Um, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of time, so I hope he figures it out fast. I hope maybe a home game changes some things. But you mentioned the subs. He brought in Bobby Wood and, Bobby and Ian Harks in the 62nd minute. He brought in Ima Botang in the 86th minute, which seemed a little too late for me. I think Ima should have came in a lot sooner. Um, but that was it. No Esmir in this game, no T-Mac, um, no Ben Sweat. And I know Ben Sweat is not exactly an impact sub, but I thought maybe – you know, Polster has to cover a lot of ground in that inverted left back system. And so I thought maybe you're going to be putting in Ben Sweat at some point and, and maybe taking off Mark Anthony Kay and moving Polster to midfield. So maybe he gets a little bit of rest, but they, they rode Polster in that left back inverted spot for 90 minutes. So really interesting to see how he incorporates his bench over the next few weeks and how he, if he changes anything up from what we saw here, because I think this is going to be some evolving tactics over the next few weeks and he doesn't have a lot of time to mess around it, you really have to figure it out in the games where you also have to win them so uh, he has a very very difficult job and i i hope he can pull this off but man um it's gonna be very tough yeah and you know we'll probably get into more detail about it later but i wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of having polster play at left back i don't know if he's ever played that position before obviously played on the right but uh and playing left isn't too uh different but isn't something he's necessarily used to and especially how he was deployed in that role. It didn't necessarily, you know, suit his game and it left the revolution open. So per personally, I would love to see Dewan stay on the left, have someone like Andrew Farrell uh, on the right, but we can definitely get into to that in more detail, but definitely uh, some concerning uh, changes, but also, you know, some positive ones. We'll get into that later. Right now, let's get to your key takeaway, Sam. Uh, what did you think uh, coming out of this game? Yeah, to kind of, you know, go a bit more into, you know, Clint P.A.'s head and his changes that he's making. Seems very determined to make uh, Giacomo Grioni a lone striker, have him, uh, you know, being able to do it all up top. And it continues to not go well, I, I will say. He did get an assist, though he pretty much laid it off the card's heel, and I'm quite confident you could do that, Gregory. But he also did have 92% uh, completed passes, so good for him on that. But 62 minutes again, he came off for Bobby Wood, uh, 24 touches. Uh, both of his shots were blocked. Wasn't really able to create anything in terms of goal scoring opportunities. Continues to not be able to score on the road. It's been quite some time since he scored overall. So for someone like your designated player, uh, you want to see more from him. And it seems like he's much better suited to having a striker partner. He has improved this hold-up game. I'll give him credit and also too. Part of it lies on his teammates, you know, providing him with quality service. But it just seems like Clint PA and, you know, before that, Richie Williams, they just want to keep deploying him as a lone striker up top. And it just doesn't seem to fit his game. Obviously, if he wants to become a top striker, it will have to become something. But I think if the Revolution want to win games, 
either have to have Bobby Wood or when healthy can stop a blow next to him to really unlock the attack and get things going up there. I think that's a good, correct take. And we do have a question here. Uh, let's kind of dip into our listener questions because this kind of touches along uh, with what you're saying here. But Mike Kennedy says, it's clear Vrioni isn't as effective without a second striker. Should Wood start along him? I think ultimately you want Bo up there. But I think Bobby Wood and Vrioni might be too similar in terms of a traditional number nine. I don't know if playing them both would work. Um, I feel maybe you would rather move up Chancolet and put him along with with Wood and kind of have him maybe as a second striker in a bow bow, bow type role. Um, but I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think maybe playing Bobby Wood and Vrioni would work better than what they're doing now? I would definitely say that Bobby Wood and Vrioni would work better because I think Bobby Wood would be doing more of the dirty work, kind of, you know, going out trying to win balls, uh, being physical. And obviously, I think he's much better when it comes to hold up play. And we've seen it. A lot of Rioni's goals have come based on him making runs and actually displaying his speed. So I, have, I think if he's able to focus more on that and is able to get that service, I, I think he would do a lot better. We might start seeing him find the back of the net. You know, when he had Gustavo Bo up there, it seemed like that was also something they were able to do. Um, was able to get he was able to get in behind opponents and able to find goals so I definitely think no matter if it's you know Bo Wood I think he would do much better it's interesting to uh, possibly have a Shankalai up there because maybe that allows you to have someone like an Ima Boateng or just uh, have more of those midfielders that you're very strong in uh, out in the starting 11 Uh, but I would be perfectly fine if well Gustavo Bo is recuperating Hopefully he is back soon. It would be great if he could uh, come back for this home game. Uh, but as long as he's recuperating, I'd be perfectly fine uh, with Brioni and Wood up top. Uh, Will Morris, he also says, despite their early se- season troubles playing together, is it worth attempting Wood and Brioni together again until Bo is back? Neither look very good uh, alone up top. So uh, Will also agreeing with you there. Uh, one thing I want to point out, too, about Brioni, you mentioned he's never scored a road goal for the Revolution. That is a problem. Uh, and I, I remember he scored this hat trick in League's Cup, and I remember people wrote in and said, "Do we owe him an apology?" And you know, oh, he's he's really coming together. And Sam, let's talk about what he's done since then. Are you ready for that? Oh, I'm ready. So there have been 602 minutes since he was pulled from the uh, San Luis game in the League's Cup. He scored one goal since then. He scored one goal in 602 minutes since his game where he scored the hat trick, uh, and. It's been 320 minutes since his last goal. So those aren't designated player numbers. Those aren't starting forward numbers. Uh, And so I I know he can't play as a single striker well. You know, it doesn't suit him on the road. He's a designated player. He's got to figure it out. And he's turning 25 next month. So, you know, we we can't really cater a ton around him. Uh, And when you see him missing that cross from... I believe it was Chancolet. Uh, maybe it was Carlos Hill uh, who kind of chipped the ball over the top and he barely skims off his head and lands right in the keeper's arms. Uh, it's really frustrating. So kudos for the assist. Really enjoyed the hold-up play. We're seeing some little bits and pieces that are great, but he's 24. He's not 20. We need to see that step and improvement. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. We've He's gotten a string of games. The results aren't there. And his ratios look decent because he's had some multi-goal games. He has 600, 600 of his last minutes. He's scored one goal. So... The Revs have some home games coming up. Maybe they're going to be playing on the front foot a little bit better. Maybe that suits his game a little bit better. But on the road, these last three games, he's been pretty invisible here. And it's almost to the point where I've said, 
maybe this is too ridiculous and maybe it's just too simplistic. Could we just play Bobby Wood on the road and Vrioni on at home? I mean, I feel like Bobby Wood connects with the team a lot better and is a lot better at hold up play on the road, whereas Vrioni is better at getting into the box. And when the team is playing on the front foot, he's, he's getting into dangerous positions, whereas on the road, it just doesn't seem like he's doing that. Maybe that's stupid. But I just feel like when the revs are on the front foot, Vrioni is a lot more dangerous. Whereas when they're playing back and and trying to gain some sort of possession and move the ball forward, I mean, he's barely touching the ball. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's stupid. I would say that if that is the case, if that's something the Revolution would have to do, then I think you, you would have to say that Giacomo Vrioni isn't worthy of being a DP. And then you have to have that discussion. And obviously, with Gustavo Bo possibly leaving the offseason, if you have Brioni as your lone DP striker, you're going to need, need him to perform at a much more consistent basis. So, you know, if that is the case, I would say you need to move on from Brioni and get an actual capable DP number nine. Uh, but you could be in real trouble with Gustavo Bo possibly leaving the club unless they're able to make some miracle deal and he's able to take a massive pay cut. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And it's weird because I'm somewhere in between the anti-Vrioni crowd and the pro-Vrioni crowd. I, I don't want to completely give up on him and say we need to completely discard him. But he has these just long droughts where we're just not seeing really anything from him. And we're, we're certainly not seeing designated player production from him. So I think the answer is a two-striker system and tying this into... Mikey takeaway and the formation change. I think the key that's going to unlock all of this is some sort of three-five-two, uh, where you have Dwan Jones and someone else as wingbacks pushing forward. You have two strikers. I, I think that, truthfully, is probably the way to go when Henry Kessler gets healthy. But I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what uh, Clint Pia decides. And they've played with one striker for so long. Um, I almost kind of doubt that they're going to shift to the two-striker formation, or I, you know, Bo might not ever come back healthy. I just feel like everything's going wrong. So hopefully we get to see uh, this team unlock their full potential at some stage. So um, you want to get into some listener questions, Sam? Oh, let's get it. We got a lot. We got a lot. Let's start in the defensive midfield. Uh, Mark Anthony K. Some people not feeling he did a very good job. Pa- Paulo says, was this Mark Anthony K's worst game? He was a turnover machine tonight. Um, and then we also had another comment here from Will. Is Mark Anthony K colorblind? He must have sent five passes a game straight to an opposition player. Uh, so Mark Anthony K, what do you think of his night? And do you think it was his worst game with the Revs so far? Yeah, I definitely don't think it was his best. Uh, but like it was mentioned, had some turnovers and just... I guess, not smart plays. You know, it was definitely interesting to see him deployed as that lone defensive mid. I was someone who necessarily wasn't uh, mad at it. You know, it was definitely difficult to see Ian Hart move to the bench. And I think maybe if Matt Polster, you know, isn't at that left back position, he could possibly be on the bench because of it. But overall, I've been pleased with this play, but it definitely seems like he's on a downward trajectory and kind of needs to have a good performance. You know, he brings that physical play that you'd want from a defensive midfielder. Some, once again, uh, getting in the middle of, uh, I think, multiple uh, scuffles. Uh, so you'd love to see that and just having kind of that enforcement in the midfield who's going to protect their captain and Carlos Hill and his teammates. Uh, but whether it just be, you know, not really marking your man that well, I think it was on uh, the second goal, if, if I'm correct, or uh, where he just kind of, you know, lets his man and doesn't really step up to him, and then also, too, just kind of lets his man go, I think, for the first goal. So definitely could do better defensively. Uh, we'll probably be looking at the film and 
thinking he could do a little bit better. Uh, but still, you know, I rate him pretty high in this midfield. I just think he's kind of gotten a, a blip uh, and, you know, just has to fix that. I don't think it's, you know, indicative of his overall, you know, ability and performance. Even if you were to kind of look at it, I'm someone who sees him, you know, being a starter in that kind of, you know, six defensive midfield role compared to someone like Matt Polster, I think. Maybe you deploy Ian Hartz a bit forward, but if he's getting six minutes, I wouldn't be mad as well. Uh, but definitely not his best performance against Chicago Fire. Yeah, uh, stats don't hate on him too much. 86% pass accuracy. He was three for five on tackles, one, two clearances, one headed clearance. Uh, he was five for 11 on ground duels, so 45%. Not horrific, but certainly not good. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is Polster's out of position when they gain possession. Uh, Polster's pushing up. We say the only defensive midfielder in, in Mark Anthony K, but Polster's really kind of shifting into that central midfield as well when he's up there. So um, it's kind of interesting to see Polster kind of do this. But when you lose possession, there's a lot of gaps back there. And it seemed like Mark Anthony K was having a difficult time figuring out where to be. It certainly looked weird on television having Dave Romney kind of move over and play kind of left center back. And those big gaps between Romney and Omar uh, and Omar and um, Dewan Jones when Dewan Jones was back and you're right. Traeger had the same comment as you did, uh, Sam. In my eyes, uh, Mark Anthony K is a massive liability at the six because he has a tendency to drop deep into the box when we're under attack, which leaves the area at the top of the box vacant for the opposing team. That's exactly what happened on the second goal there. Um, it seems like in that scenario, Mark Anthony K is dropping back because it's kind of just organized chaos at that point. So maybe it's the tactical lineup and it just maybe it was something he had a tough time adjusting to, uh, but it certainly seemed like yesterday he had a, a bit of a rough time. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not giving Mark Anthony K some positive uh, marks in this game. Um, we did have one more comment here, too. Polster is so underrated. Taking him out of position is a massive mistake, and Mark Anthony K is not doing well at central defensive midfield at all. Polster was a huge part of the team's success in 2021 and should have a guaranteed start at the six. Unfortunately, we have only one starting fullback. Thoughts. So let's talk directly about this bolster at left back. Thanks, Sam. Uh, is this a mistake moving him to left back? Yeah, I, I would say it was. I would have much rather seen Dewan Jones move over to left back and maybe kind of play a more traditional, you know, four man back line and have Andrew Farrell there. Andrew Farrell there. I think Farrell is kind of better defensively in that area and just how Polster was deployed, like you mentioned, he was in attack basically going up into the midfield, and so it left the revolution extremely wide open and susceptible to the counterattack, and we saw it on multiple occasions against the fire. So I, I think you need kind of more of those traditional wings. Obviously, the wings in the revolution system do get forward, uh, but just with how they were deployed against Chicago, it didn't really work well. I would much rather see Polster in the midfield, even if it means coming off the bench. I wouldn't say he's guaranteed a spot. If you're looking at having one defensive midfielder out there, I would probably look at Ian Hartz and then probably Mark Anthony K before getting the pollster. Um, but overall, just not really a fan of that decision. Again, out of position, like was mentioned, would much rather see him at the six and playing more of a natural position for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. It is interesting. I, I think this inverted left-back thing is going to stay. I don't know who else could run what they are doing with Polster. I was thinking maybe Ian Harks could do that. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think Polster is, and in, in tying this back into 2021 and Derek's comment, Polster was kind of the guy that broke, broke lines in 2021 um, and was such a huge part of kind of passing out of the defensive midfield. Um, yeah, it's good. 
I'm curious to see if they stick with this uh, or if they try something new with a home game against Charlotte. Um, yeah, be very interesting. But it certainly seems like Mark Anthony K might be a liability at defensive midfield. And if that's the case, why not move Polster back there and try someone else in that spot? It would be very interesting. Uh, Big Nation also said Mark Anthony K had a ton of passes cut out, but did he also get away with one on the VAR review? Certainly didn't feel like it met the clear and obvious requirement to go to review, but had the whistle been for a penalty kick, uh, would that have been reversed? And he's talking about in the extra time, Mark Anthony K, um, I believe it was on Gutierrez, uh, who actually went down injured. Um, I, I actually don't know if, I don't know if you heard anything, Sam. I don't know if he's it's looked bad. Have not heard an update on his injury status, uh, but there's very, very little contact on going down the box. And I think, truthfully, if there wasn't an injury on that play, that wouldn't have gone to VAR. I think maybe the injury made it look like there was more contact than there was. Um, I think even if it was a penalty kick in the moment, I have to believe it would have been overturned because it did not look like a foul at all. And I also agree with Big Nation's comment here that um, I was surprised it went to VAR at all for a penalty kick review. So, Sam, uh, what do you think about the VAR, uh, and did the refs get it right? Yeah, it was definitely kind of, kind of shocking. I did not expect that to go to uh, the VAR, but I think it would have been interesting if it was ruled a penalty just because of that whole clear and obvious, and it's it so much more difficult to overturn something compared to confirming something. Um, so I think if it was possibly you know ruled a penalty or, or a foul, because I think it was outside the box, um, that it probably would have been given and maybe you see yellow cards just because clear and obvious is very vague um, at points. So it was definitely interesting. I'm glad there wasn't a foul. Like you just kind of got caught. It, it was a rough injury. I did not enjoy uh, seeing the replay on multiple occasions. Uh, my knee was feeling quite weird after watching. Uh, but obviously poor luck and ho- hope that uh, Gutierrez is feeling better. Uh, but yeah, th- don't think it was a penalty, but it would have been interesting to see if it was you know, rule the foul if they would have overturned it just based on it, the clear and obvious criteria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, agree with you 100%. Let's move on. Uh, Revs fan on Twitter says, should we expecting a run against Charlotte after two poor dis- displays against non-playoff teams? I think you can go more than two uh, poor displays. I think even since the Austin game, uh, Minnesota, Colorado, um, and uh, uh, Chicago, this has been a very poor string of four games that really, if you're the revolution coming into this span, you should have been looking to secure second place. They're now sitting in sixth place, looking up, trying to make back some places that they lost over the past month. Uh, so what should we be expecting going into the Charlotte game? Yeah, I, I think the Reds are desperate for a win. Obviously, it'd be great for Cone PA getting his first win as interim head coach, but I just think they really need three points. Uh, this Eastern Conference is extremely tight, and positions are going to matter, especially when you have uh, Inter-Miami attempting to climb up. And if you have to face Lionel Messi, you're going to be in trouble. Obviously, it, it, it's expanded, so I don't know how far the Reds you know, will drop. I don't know if they'll be playing kind of those you know, knockout or playing games. Uh, but I think they do need to get a win just to build some confidence, it's, it's been a long time since they've been able to get a win. There's been a lot that's happened since then. I just think overall, they're, they really need to get a win or else we can start to see the season spiral. And obviously, they made the playoffs, but it very well could be a one-and-done uh, for the New Revolution. And I think also, too, the fact they are playing at home, uh, obviously, I don't think fans are extremely happy, uh, whether it's be with the investigation and lack of transparency or... The play and kind of confusion about the future of a club. 
So it could increase there, and it'd be interesting to see how the fans react in that first home game uh, without Bruce Arena, without Richie Williams, without Charlie Joseph and Dave Vandenberg. It's going to be really interesting, but I think they desperately need three points. I think if you weren't to get three points, it would be a massive disappointment. Yes, and this probably is your last, or I should say most easiest game remaining on the schedule. The last five games of the regular season, you're home versus Charlotte, you're home versus Columbus, you're on the road at Orlando, you're on the road at Nashville, and then you're home versus Philadelphia. Um, That schedule gets tough. Uh, I believe, let me check the standings, yes, all of those games are against playoff teams except for this Charlotte team. Uh, All of them are top seven teams right now in the standings. So you're really competing for playoff position here too. Uh, Again, a win against Columbus or a result against Columbus is huge. A result against Philadelphia is huge. Um, Looking at the standings right now, as we're recording this at 9 PM on Sunday night, Cincinnati is running away with first place, but then you have Orlando who's currently losing to inter Miami uh, in the second spot with 50 points in 30 games. Columbus has 49 points in 30 games. Philadelphia has 49 points in 29 games. Atlanta has 49 points in 31 games. New England has 49 points in 29 games. So their level with Philadelphia in terms of points and games played, there is room to move up because Atlanta has two games in hand. Columbus has one game in hand. So the Revs can jump over those teams if they play well. Um, it's, it's just a matter of playing well, and they haven't done that in a long time. So this game against Charlotte, who's sitting in 14th place, that has nothing to play for. This has to be a win. This this really, really, really has to be a win for the Revolution. And if you want to say, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil. They've been on the road. They're a much better team at home. Great. This needs to be three points. They can't come away with a, a draw out of this because every single game from here on out is really, really important. Not just for playoff seating, too, but, you know, a few weeks ago, they were in line for a CONCACAF Champions League spot. That's flying out the window real fast. you got to finish probably somewhere between second and fourth, probably second or third, uh, to get one of those spots. And it's still very attainable. I mean, Orlando is in second place. They're one point ahead of them with one extra game played if this result against Inter-Miami holds. They really... This this season should not be collapsing as fast as it is. And if they had half-decent results down the stretch, they're going to have a top-four seed. So... This game against Charlotte, you have to go out. You have to get a win. If not, we're hitting the panic button. We have not had the panic button very much involved in this season yet. I, I think the panic meter is at a nine. This Charlotte game, it, I, I want a two-goal-plus victory out of this one. This really has to be a statement for the Revolution. Must-win game, Greg. I think we're, we're clear. Must-win. Must-win game. And, and I think a lot of people have kind of... Um, they're in panic mode and, and they're jumping off the bandwagon and they're, we'll get to some listener questions that kind of say that later that they're expecting one and done, but the revs, there is a path here for the revolution because they are a team that's very strong at home. And the way the stupid playoff system is working for the MLS this year is that the first round is best of three. And then it goes to single elimination because they wanted everyone to have a home game. And so they're going to drag out the playoffs as long as possible. So your first round is a best of three. And if you have a top four seed, someone has to come into Gillette and win twice in Gillette. So if you're able to get a top four seed, even if you're playing Columbus or Atlanta or Philadelphia or Nashville or whoever, it's tough to come to Gillette if the Revs play their best soccer and win twice. So I don't know. I'm not sold on them being one and done, but if Charlotte comes to Gillette and makes them look terrible, then I'm, I'm hitting the panic button because, yeah, you know, of course, Philadelphia, if Charlotte can come in and beat the Revs, sure, Philadelphia can come and do that. Atlanta can do that. So must win game for me. 
Uh, walk, walk, walk says in the two games under Clint PA, actually Klein PA. Ah, if you were listening, if you were watching the broadcast, you get that joke. Uh, in the two games under Klein PA, especially this game when Polster played at the inverted left back role, I feel like the revs were really easy to play through. Tons of space on the wing, and in the holding D mid position from time to time. Don't think this would be, or don't think this would be a fun experience later when we play the likes of the Columbus Crew. Uh, so that's kind of a comment that we've kind of reiterated there. A lot of space, um, bit of a weird formation that left a lot of gaps in the defense and certainly was exploited by a Chicago team that hadn't scored in a month, by the way. Hadn't scored since August 20th. Scored twice against the Revs. Certainly had a lot of room to run. Um, I'm sure when the uptick in competition, um, they certainly will have no issue running through those gaps too. So it'll be interesting to see if they stick with it uh, and if they're able to fine-tune it uh, before their schedule gets difficult. Uh, Sam, anything you want to add before we move on? No, I just completely agree and especially against the crew and, you know, the Union and Nashville. You can see Hanu Mukhtar tearing it up. You can see, you know, uh, that Duke song uh, being played in Philadelphia. Uh, it could be really rough if this keeps going. So, personally, I, I hope that Clint P.A. decides against it and maybe puts uh, DeWan Jones back on that left back. Klein P.A. Um, Rally Rose fan says, thoughts on P.A.'s tactics tonight, and was it a matchup availability-driven or is it something you think we see more of? You think this might just be a one-time thing or a matchup thing? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think we might see this against Charlotte. And I think if it doesn't work against Charlotte, then you throw it in the trash and you try something else. Um, but do you think that this was a one-and-done thing with the inverted left back? Uh, personally, with the inverted left back, I, I don't know. I'm kind of stuck. I think there might be that that sense that, oh, we're playing at home. We're being much more confident. We're going to be on the front foot so we don't have to worry about all, you know, whether it be Chicago storming them, uh, you know, on the counter or Charlotte. But I, I think Charlotte could take advantage of them. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we see it deployed in this home game. But if it performs how I would expect it would against Charlotte, I would hope that Clint PA, excuse me, Klein PA, uh, would be kind of come to the conclusion that maybe this isn't the best situation. But I just think... I'd rather have the one Jones playing at left back, and I'd rather have Andrew Farrell just starting eleven, uh, especially if you're going to keep Omar uh, at center back. Uh, Traeger says, "I appreciate PA trying new things, but uh, but playing D- DJ, I think he needs Polster. Playing DJ as a makeshift center back on offense makes him." Sorry, let me restart this again. I appreciate PA trying new things. Playing DJ as a makeshift center back on offense eliminates him as a threat offensively. I think he means Polster. Uh, I also think our over-reliance on midfielders forces us to sacrifice a second striker, leaving Frioni on an island and not taking advantage of his skill set. I believe we agreed with most of that, Sam. Anything you want to say? I believe we touched on that earlier, but in case you want to throw anything else onto Trigger's comment, we can. Nope. Uh, yeah, like you said, we've already, t- already touched upon it, and it uh, sounds like what we've been saying. Justin's iPhone is nailing where I want to go next is the Revs' best formation, a 3-5-2. Kessler, Romney, Farrell in the back, Shankale, Harks, Carlos Hill, Polster, and Jones in the midfield, and then Verioni and Bo up top. Shankale at wingback would be a bit of an issue defensively, agree, uh, but with three at the back, I think you could pull it off and add K for Harks uh, if you really need the extra cover. Agree with that. I don't know how it would really work with Shankale as a wingback because that would really take move him back a lot but i think you could find some sort of way especially if andrew farrell is out there he can kind of move into the right spot right back spot if you need him to um i think maybe you just focus on working the ball down the right and having just Chancelet push way up uh and you know if dewan jones is able to stay back a little bit more that 
shifts nice and easy into a four-man back line when you are not in possession. But when you're in possession, uh, if Chancolet is already kind of pinned up, we've seen in the past Brandon By kind of pinned up way up and, and play the game almost more in the opposing half uh, than in the defensive half. Um, I think maybe if you just have him as a wing back on paper, but really more of a right midfielder who's looking to go forward and Dewan Jones, who only goes forward if they're in possession and the ball's being worked down the left, then I, I think you could really work it out where uh, you kind of have a shifting formation where you're able to keep enough defensive cover back there. But yeah, I think a three, five, two, which is what Justin's iPhone described is kind of what you should be going for at that stage. Uh, any thoughts on that, Sam? Nah, I would probably, probably agree. I think maybe you just kind of deploy someone like, uh, Shankalai, more more of that just a traditional kind of like left midfielder compared to that left wing back if you don't want to rely on him defensively. Uh, but I think even then, like you mentioned, you can kind of play around the formation when you're in the attack compared to defending to make it work. But I, I would love to see the three five two. Obviously, you just need to have everybody healthy, and hopefully, you know, we're at the end of September. Hopefully, if you look into October, we'll start to see Henry Kessler, and the back line will look a bit a little bit uh, stronger, especially with who New England has been playing as of late. I suppose you could play, I think I said I put Shankly on the left. I think you could put him on the left and, or, or sorry, I think I said I put him on the right. I think you could put him on the left and put Dewan Jones on the right. So either one of them is interchangeable. Oh, yeah, 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 either way. Like you mentioned, yeah, my apologies. Uh, Randy LH, thoughts on Shankly so far? I like him, though I think his decision-making in the final third could use finesse. Sam, thoughts on Shankly? Overall, I've been really impressed. I think he's brought what you've been missing since the absence of Dylan Barrero due to his injury. He's also someone like Gustavo Bo, who's just going to launch a shot from anywhere, which I think is welcome at times. And definitely has the leg to be able to have the green light from all over the field. Uh, but he's just able to go at defenders. He's been really impressive on the ball. We've seen him, you know, bring out the nutmegs. We've seen him, you know, blow by opponents. But also, too, you know, isn't, you know, worried about, going to ground, you know, he's willing to put in the work kind of defensively, and you kind of saw that more in the beginning things, especially when the Revolution were on the road. Uh, but overall, been impressed. I think it's uh, three goals in about five or six, or seven uh, matches played, so really impressive from him. And looking to 2024, I know there's kind of conflicting reports. Is he going to be a DP if he comes back for 2024? Is he not? I would be perfectly fine giving the DP tag, especially if you're going to have someone like Gustavo Bo leaving. Uh, so really impressed with him, and I think he's someone the revolution to build on, and obviously thinking ahead in the future. If you have uh, Dylan Barrero on one side and uh, Thomas Schankelein on the other, that's going to cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses and back lines. So I, I would love to see that. Really impressed uh, with Schankelein so far. And I think if MLS adds a fourth designated player too, I think that adds to the argument that he should be staying. I, I think he's been hit on the gotten off on the right foot for the revolution uh, and he seems to be a fit right away and he's kind of added a spark uh, that has been missing since Dylan Barrero I know they're not exactly like for like players uh, but uh, certainly he's made an instant impact so Silverfoot says Chancolet was on fire but also is fiery living up to the reputation he had prior to coming to the revs how long until he gets a red card I believe he also got a yellow card late in the game I don't know if that was for mm -hmm. a foul or if that was just for um, okay. what was it for it was very foul, like a uh, ball was going in and the defender was shielding him. I think he tried to get in behind as the goalkeeper's getting it, kind of collided with the goalkeeper. Oh, yes. And then kind of, you know, a little scuffle match uh, ensued. And then I think he was talking uh, to another player and basically pleading his case and 
whatever it may be. Uh, he just wants to uh, win the game. I'm playing. I'd love to see it. Does play with a chip on his shoulder, uh, but does that make him a red card risk? I will also throw out here that looking at his stats on who scored, he had two red cards last year, uh, and it looks like he had one in 2017-2018. So only three red cards in his career. Not a total red card risk, um, but I don't know, maybe. He certainly plays the chip on his shoulder. Uh, do you think he gets a red card anytime in the future? Uh, I will say no. Uh, I think he's he's passed the test in terms of not being like Dylan Barrero. Also, he's a bit older, 24 years old, so he's kind of matured and hasn't have to go through that same process that a younger Barrero is going through. I remember that game when he picked up a second yellow, and one of them, I believe, was for descent. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be too worried about him picking up red. Maybe he'll pick up the occasional yellow, uh, but I think he'll be smart enough to uh, not make any mistakes when playing on a yellow. Big Nation on threads. Chanclay had a good match. By the way, be our friend on threads. We need more people on threads. We're still on threads. Are you guys on threads? Come on, be our friend on threads. Gregor, are you on Blue Sky? <laughs> well, no. Let's not get crazy. I got some advice for you if you want. Uh, let's, let's, let's wait for threads to die out, and then I'll hop over there. But Chanclay had a good match, but all his first touches felt super heavy, which actually benefited him on the goal because both him and the defenders overcommitted, allowing him to turn. Is that something he'll need to improve on to replace Bo? Is it a bug or a feature? Tim? Hmm. I don't know. That, that hasn't some, been something I picked up on. So shout out to Big Nation uh, for noticing that. Maybe it's more just a style of play. He, you know, he is kind of a speedy guy, so maybe he's just wanting to utilize that. Maybe I, I would probably lean towards it being a feature, but I, there's definitely times where you need him to have a clean touch and kind of be able to get going and not just looking to uh, kind of mess with offenders. So I think there is part of it where you want to clean it up, but it might just be part of his game. And so far, I've been pleased with this game, so I'm not going to be too uh, too critical uh, on his on his touch, especially because I have the touch of a baby elephant. Um, let's get into the good stuff, Sam. You ready to you ready to really rip into this team? Because we got some comments here. Uh, Steven Smith, why can't this team perform anymore? Last four games, we have thrown away nine points, two blow 90-plus minute leads, and failure to defeat two teams in the bottom of the standings. Could be sitting pretty in, seven, uh, as, in second, as we were for most of the season, but it's been a collapse since Bruce left. We talked about this a little bit. Sam, what's wrong with the team right now? Well, I, I do think part of it is the whole calamity regarding uh, Bruce Arena, and obviously he is like probably the greatest MLS coach in you know United States uh soccer coach in, in history so I think that does play a role into it and it just seems like as much as the players want to say it hasn't been a distraction I would say it probably has been too and also you just have a lot of injuries and a lot of absences piling up so I think it's part due to that but also too I don't think you can discount losing someone like Bruce Arena agree 100% and again it's a little unfair to Clint PA, so I'm, I'm curious to see how he does uh, in, in these next few weeks. But, yeah, this has been a, a very bad month for the revolution. Um, one of the lower points, I think, in, in recent history because everything seemed to be going well for the team. And now they're fighting for a home playoff game, which I don't think any of us saw a month ago, uh, especially going into a quote-unquote easy schedule where you're only able to take, I think, three or four points. So uh, Chad also says on Twitter, the alarm bells are ringing now, right? Four straight games without a win, two against literally the worst teams in the league. Playoffs are secure, but that doesn't change the fact that this team went from second to potentially not even hosting a home home playoff game. Agree 100%, Chad. Uh, Seamus says, we aren't seeing winning tactics or inspired individual play. The results are fair to poor, 
I, I think that might be <laughs> that might be uh, a little generous. Uh, the results have been very poor. But uh, Seamus also says, how can we not expect to see them eliminated immediately in an away playoff game? The Revs were never good enough this year to recover from so many injuries and the loss of Petro and Bruce. Uh, very harsh words. Right now, they look very fair. And again, I think once this team goes on the playoff and, and on the road in the playoffs, um, they're going to really, really struggle. So they. It's very imperative for them to not only figure it out tactically going into the playoffs and getting hot uh, for the playoffs, but they also need to move up a few spaces and get a few rounds of home playoff games uh, before. Um, and, you know, that, that's going to make a, a really big deal. So uh, one more comment here. Evan Ryan says, so this team stinks. Why should fans bother to pay money and watch this garbage? Uh, and he also says, don't go into their undefeated home record. Uh, this team isn't winning one playoff game. Every team in the East is begging to play in New England. It's equal to a buy. I love comments that say, um, don't go into the positives of this team. Uh, when, when, Why would anyone pay money to see this team? Don't go into their unbeaten home record. Kind of answering the question there. Uh, but let's take away uh, their strengths at home. Uh, Sam, why should fans bother to uh, pay money to watch this garbage? Well, I think overall, you know, fans should do whatever they want with their money. But, I mean, they're still a very talented team. You get to see Carlos Hill be absolutely magical. You're going to get to see Thomas Vosvik. I would not be surprised if he made his de- debut this weekend. Um, you get to see Andrew Farrell possibly do a bicycle kick clearance. That was very sick. Thomas Chancolet also has an amazing shot. And maybe, if you're lucky, you see Giacomo Brioni score a goal. And also, too, there's chicken fingers. Gillette Stadium, and sometimes it is discounted. So yeah, I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of good things about the discounted chicken fingers at Gillette Stadium. Um, and there is a home game, so maybe Vrioni will score uh, next week. I, I do think you're, there are pieces to this team. It's just not the pieces are better than the uh, some of the parts right now. Um, you know, you look at the talent in the field: Carlos Hill and Chancolet and Dewan Jones, and I, I I really don't think this is a bad team. And I think it's really annoying because at the beginning of the season, I was down on this team and I thought they were going to be a road playoff team, a bottom four seed uh, going into the playoffs. They kind of won me over and they've kind of completely fallen apart uh, since the Bruce Arena departure. I think there is a path here where Vatsleek comes in, plays well, um, you know, is an upgrade from Earl Edwards Jr. Even if he does 80% of what Petrovic does, that's a very good goalkeeper. Kessler comes back, shores up the back line, although I don't think Omar Gonzalez is exactly a, a huge issue right now. He's played pretty decently, so I, I don't know how much of an upgrade that is. Um, and, and Clint Pierre is able to find out, figure out something tactically to make it work. Uh, but time is running out. It's, it's really hard to make this pitch that the Revs are going to go into the playoffs and, and really stun a lot of people because, you know, I'm not saying that they're running through the motions and this is kind of a lame duck team where – you know, there's going to be a turnover in coaching staff and there's going to be a lot of changes and, and the roster is going to have a lot of turnover. I'm not saying that, but this is kind of what it looks like if that was happening. So it's very frustrating to, um, you know, reading those last four comments. I can't disagree with much of it. There's not a ton of positives right now for the rest. But uh, uh, Mike D also says, if when Kessler and Bo return for the playoffs, are they enough to stop us from an early exit? I feel like the last few games have been without Bruce, lethargic with no killer instinct. I agree with that. Again, I think we'd have to look at the um, bracket, but there's still a way, there's still a path for the Revs to get a three seed and maybe go a round or two into the playoffs. But if the Revs are, you know, a five or a six seed, if they have to go to Philadelphia and win two games down there, 
I think it's a round one exit for them. So I think a lot goes into seeding and a lot goes into the results of the last few games. And truth be told, at the end of the regular season, we're going to know exactly how we feel about this team going into playoffs because they're going to be playing playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. So we'll have something to measure them up by. But right now, um, they can't really hang with the, the bottom feeders right now of MLS. And it's very concerning. And hopefully this is just a road trip thing. And once they get home, things are going to turn around for them. Uh, and this is just a blip in the radar. But uh, it doesn't seem like that way for me right now. Yeah, and the Eastern Conference is very strong, uh, especially even at, at the bottom. So no matter what, I think the Revolution are going to be tested, which could lead uh, to an early exit, or maybe they're galvanized and able to make a run, but I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, Blue J6 says, why didn't the new keeper play last night? Is he still injured? Uh, touching on that too, I think it's just he's still getting incorporated with the team. I was a little surprised he wasn't even available um, on the roster last night. Um, was there a reason given to why he didn't play? Yeah, it seems like Clintier basically said that they're still kind of getting to know him. He's still getting integrated into the squad, getting used to new home uh, and, you know, new club. Uh, so, again, wouldn't surprise me if we see him play against Charlotte, as I, I think there needs to kind of be a switch up in goal. And I think most likely uh, Vasily is going to be a superior goalkeeper than Earl Edwards Jr. I agree with that 100%. Teal Forever also says, can we get Earl Pintar or something sticky for his gloves? Is that legal? I don't even think Earl has been that bad. A lot of these goals, he's not. no one's getting to, I, I don't think. Um, he's had some shaky moments. I think he's a decent backup, uh, but I do think Vats Leak is going to be uh, an improvement. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Earl Edwards before we move on? Yeah, no, I, I think he's done a valiant effort, especially stepping in amidst all the chaos of Petrovic leaving. And, you know, the kind of turmoil within, uh, you know, the coaching staff and squad. Um, so I think he's done a good job. But like you said, much better suited to being a backup, getting that occasional spot start than, you know, starting weekend and week out. Uh, Blue Jay, going back to Blue Jay 6, uh, can the Revs use money from player sales to establish a new designated player or does Kraft get to te- keep it all? I'd go for a stud middle defender, uh, someone just to take all of the things in the back. Uh, a few things here. In theory, the money generated from sales does have to be spent back in on, on the team. But, you know, realistically, that's, you know, they it doesn't necessarily mean that if you sell a player for $17 million, you're increasing $17 million. It's just going to be that $17 million is going to offset current expenses. So Kraft could pocket that money. Uh, in, in terms of what can they use that money on, a million dollars could be converted to GAM, which essentially increases your salary cap budget a little bit. We won't get into all of that right now, but... A million dollars could be converted to GAM, uh, which can be spent uh, kind of on the entire roster somewhere. Uh, but the rest of that money has to be spent on a designated player or a U22 player in some form or fashion. Um, could be spent on a designated player's salary uh, or a transfer fee of a designated player or a U22 player. With Chancolet potentially coming in um, and Bo going out, the Revs have three designated players and they have a U22 player in Barrero. Uh, maybe there is going to be an additional fourth designated player that that money can go to. I personally think that you talk to Carlos Hill about extending his contract one year and maybe giving him a pay bump. Uh, but um, there's not many other places you can spend the money within the rules of the salary cap. So they are sitting on a very large uh, bunch of cash. Uh, they're still looking to figure out how to spend the Buxa and Turner uh, and Tejon money because I don't think they've even spent that uh, on on the field transfer. Uh, so I, I, I don't 
really know how they're going to spend that money, uh, but they need to do something because if you read the comments from earlier, uh, from five or ten minutes ago, uh, a lot of people I think are fed up with this team. So uh, they do need to find a way to improve the on-field product, and maybe that's going to be uh, handed over to a new manager who's got their uh, got a, a bit of a blank canvas to to work with. So um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Sam, anything you want to add? I just want to say that you are like the foremost expert on uh, MLS salary uh, nerd stuff. Uh, so shout out to you. And yeah, I, I think especially with kind of the turnover, I wouldn't be surprised to see some guys leave. And I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, to see a new head coach uh, going into 2024. And I think depending on the stature of that coach, maybe you get a similar role of a head coach, a sporting director, and get kind of that blank canvas and, you know, get the investment you know, from ownership. Uh, but yeah, definitely think the revolution needs to go out, get some guys, don't know if you know, very weak at outside back, so maybe boost that position. Uh, but yeah, definitely some areas where New England can invest that money. Realistically, that money is going to be invested into uh, maybe a larger coaching staff or more scouting resources or stuff like that, stuff that's not necessarily on the field, which is not always the... Um most fun answer for fans. Um, I think you want to go out and spend $10 million on a player, but realistically, um, that's just a tough ask. So, And by the way, uh, the, being the top expert on MLS salary rules, boy, what a sad title that is. That is just so depressing. But Traeger, we got a Traeger question here. Uh, actually, it's not a question. This isn't a question, but please tell Tom Quinlan to stop trying to push his we shouldn't have sold Petro for $17.5 million propaganda. It's tired and he's flat out wrong for so many reasons. Earl has done a solid job in relief and I can, I can, can only, I can honestly fault him for only one to three goals, but he's not the reason they haven't been winning and he's not doing everything. He's been doing everything in our power to keep us in the games. I'm asking you because Tom doesn't respond to any of my comments. You don't have to mention this message or names too late for that trigger, but if you could make it clear, he's wicked wrong about this. That would be great. Sam, would you like to handle this one first and then I'll, fill in the gaps of where else Tom is wrong? Yeah, I just do want to point out Traeger put this in the Discord uh, revolutionary kind of question. So this was definitely going to be uh, set in full. Um, but yeah, you know, definitely I've talked to Tom about this on multiple occasions. I don't think the revolution shouldn't have sold George Petrix. I think they should. I think even if it was 15.5 mil or, you know, somewhere around there, you sell George Petrix and you know, it's a move he wanted to make. He obviously wanted to go back to Europe. He's going to Chelsea, not really getting that much playing time, so don't know if it's the best thing for him. Uh, but it's a move you can't pass up. It's uh, money you cannot pass up. And I don't think Bruce Arena not being here really played into it. Obviously, you know, some, Tom, will say that if Bruce is here, he wouldn't have been sold. But I think when you get that amount of money, you have to. And there has been an interesting point. It, the agency that reps him for bonus sports has been really interesting in how they operate. You know, you saw uh, Petrovic have that mini holdout. Um, there was another player by them who I believe held out. And then now, too, they have a Portland goalkeeper who's filing a claim with the MLSPA. And it seems like uh, I believe there was some reporting out there in Portland. I, I forget who it was, so I do apologize. Um, Basically, you know, saying that sources said any game that he didn't get a start, uh, this goalkeeper who's rep by bonus sports would demand a trade. So it seems like they're building up a, a negative uh, reputation around MLS. And it seemed like maybe this could get worse. And I would much rather sell George Petrovic and, you know, be able to reinvest that money into the club 
than just have George Petrovic sitting out game because he's going to even go to Chelsea. Um, so overall, I think it's a move you have to make. Obviously, the, the counterpoint is you're not going to win this season. And I think the Reds have sold themselves to players as a selling club. And I think if you're going to do that, you do need to strike a balance. But if you do get an offer like this for Petrovic, you need to sell him. Uh, you need to do right by the player. And obviously, you do have Erlewood Jr. stepping in. and He's not George Petrovic. Thomas Vosley, not George Petrovic. Um, but they are capable goalkeepers. And you still have Carlos Hill, still have uh, Gustavo Bo. You have, you know, Brioni. You have a back line. You have a top talent in the Jones. You should still be winning games. So I'm not going to say that George Petrovic being sold ruined the Reds' season. Um, if I had to say one thing, I would probably at this point say the whole saga with Bruce Arena. If you have to, you know, if I have to pick one thing. Um, but I definitely would disagree with Tom in saying that the Reds shouldn't have sold George Petrovic. Yeah, and, you know, if we're talking about the Reds' problems, you know, you, we can we can point to Earl Edwards Jr. a little bit. But I think it's a combination of Bruce is gone, Bo is hurt, and is not the most effective anymore. Bren buys injury, and there's no backup right back that has thrown everything to flux. There's a large number of combination of things that has led to this. And I think the Bruce Arena situation and the locker room turmoil has kind of just pushed it over the edge. In terms of Petrovic, um, you're hitting the nail on the head, which is a really important topic. We talked about this a few months ago when this popped up, when Petrovic was, they got a bid for $8 million from Nottingham Forest. And he sat out the league's cup game and he didn't really have a lot of leverage because that was under his market value. And he had a, you know, I, I made a very impassioned plea that he should not be sitting out here, but he's trying to force a move. If Petrovic is sitting out, he's, he's skipping the league's cup game and you have to basically really negotiate him just to come back because you rejected an $8 million bid from Nottingham Forest. There is not a chance in hell. He is coming back if you're rejecting a $17.5 million bid from Chelsea. He's not playing for your team after that. He's not. You can't bring him back and say, yeah, we promise we'll sell you when we get a bid for market value and then get an over market value bid and and expect him to just come to work every day and act like nothing has happened. You've mentioned his agency. We talked about it a little bit at the time. Petrovic would not be here and and he'd be advised to sit out. And truth be told, I would not blame him if if the revs rejected this offer because it was over value. It was, um, you know, uh, the, the Gaga Slonina was purchased by Chelsea a year ago for, I think $10 million with $5 million in incentives. There was a loan back with that deal. So maybe there's a, th that number could go a little bit higher, but $17.5 million is a lot. And it's a lot more than I expected for Petrovic. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Then I think Turner just went for $10 million from Arsenal to Nottingham forest. It's a lot of money. There's, there's, from a business side, taking away the on-field um, perspective, off the field, dollars and cents-wise, it's a really, really good value for uh, the revolution. And if you're telling players, yeah, this is a stepping stone to a bigger league, and you're rejecting a $17.5 million bid from Chelsea, the player's going to think you're full of crap, and they're going to go home, and they're just going to wait for you to sell them to whoever. So Petro wouldn't, Pet the second that bid came in, Petro was gone. Um, there's really not an argument to rejecting that deal. Bruce would have accepted that deal. Any coach would have accepted that deal. Any sporting director would have accepted that deal. And this is a terrible take. And I'm only comfortable saying Tom's name because I, I talked to him and I know he'll be fine with me saying this. But 
it's an awful it's an awful 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 just it's it's nonsensical and again we talked about this when it happened from a fan perspective this makes the team on field suck a little bit more it, it's obviously a downgrade to the team it obviously decreases decreases your mls cup chances so from a fan perspective you're not seeing that money and it sucks and it's it's something to e- you know very easily get mad about and it's on the team to reinvest that money but if you just look at this one transaction there was no way the revs could really reject this just and and it would reflect poorly on them with their players in the locker room because players want the best for them they you know so there's no way they could have rejected that deal and rejecting that deal wouldn't have changed anything because Petrovic would have taken his ball and gone home. That That's it. That There's really not a lot of argument to that. Yep. And Bruce Arena still wouldn't be here. And that would kind of be the, the real turning point. So yeah. Uh, love Tom. Uh, wants to tell Taylor Twelman stopping a jerk. Uh, no, be a jerk. He's be right. He, Taylor Twelman's right. No, 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 no. Taylor Twelman is right to dunk He's on him. That's a terrible Taylor take. Twelman. No, it's a terrible take. But Taylor Twelman has been quite rude to our boy Tom a little rude, but Taylor Twelman can Vince Carter dunk contest dunk on on Tom Quinlan any day of the week if he makes that take. The Petrovic they shouldn't have sold Petrovic take is a garbage take and it, it's nonsensical. Sorry, Tom, it's a bad take. Uh, I got you there. I, I think there's been some other instances where Taylor's been mean, and I think go on first go on Revolution Recap Taylor Twelman uh, best podcast uh, love Revolution Recap. Go on doing your stock weekly if you're just going to continue to dunk on uh, Taylor Schwalman. But first, go on Revolution Recap. Peter says, what do you think of Omar starting over Farrell? Has Farrell dropped down the depth chart? Yeah, that, that was really surprising to me. I definitely was someone who thought Andrew Farrell would come back. And I think, obviously, there's some questions about where he would play. Obviously, really short at outside back. So it wouldn't have been surprised to see him go at right back. And obviously, you still have Omar. Uh, but there's this new tackle change, and you saw Pulsar go left back, DeLon to right back. And even then, I would probably say, okay, so Andrew Farrell's going to play over Omar Gonzalez. I mean, Omar has done well. I think, obviously, that goal might be a little bit inflated because it meant basically nothing. Um, but, you know, he has done well. He's looked a lot better, especially compared to the beginning of his career in New England. Um, but I think he's better suited to not, you know, playing long stretch of games and starting those I think he's better for the occasional spot start, you know, maybe even a game or two here or there. Um, and besides that, coming off the bench to kind of see out games. But I, I'm quite shocked, honestly, to see Andrew Farrell. I would say he probably has fallen down the depth chart. I would say he's probably below Omar right now. Seems to be healthy, you know, looking at him at training. It doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, so I would say, yeah, he has fallen down. And I personally, I'm a little bit shocked to see him uh, kind of be reserved for the bench in favor of Omar Gonzalez. The only thing I'll say is that with the lack of outside back depth, maybe Farrell is there just for emergency purposes. Uh, but yeah, I, I Farrell didn't have a, the best string of games earlier this season and Omar has played pretty well. So I think they're playing the hot hand and um, you know, I, I think Omar has probably jumped over Andrew Farrell at this point in the, in the depth chart, which is would be a weird statement to make at the beginning of the year. Uh, but uh, Omar okay. Gonzalez has played pretty well to the point, Sam. That may, I wouldn't say bring him back on his current salary, which I believe is four twenty five, but I mean, are you extending a contract offer to Omar Gonzalez for let's say two hundred twenty five thousand dollars in a backup role? I mean, I maybe maybe I I think maybe you are talking about looking at a one year extension at lesser money for Omar Gonzalez because he played pretty well. 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to go into them now. Who's going to be the next sporting director? Who's going to be the next head coach? Um, Omar was actually quite supportive of Bruce Arena talking um, about him post-game after the Chicago match, uh, match. He was asked about kind of Arena's absence uh, when uh, by Seth McCumber. Um, so, yeah, maybe that plays a role in maybe him leaving. But I would be too upset um, if he did stay. But personally, I don't know if he does come back. But, uh, yeah, I do think part of the outside back issues have, you know, forced Farrell to kind of stay out. Um, would love to see Ryan Spaulding get some playing time, basically because I think then you're able to kind of have two true outside backs compared to Polster, and obviously Farrell's kind of started his career there and has been forced to play there. Um, but it seems like Spaulding's falling down the depth chart. Don't think you're going to see Ben Sweat start, so you're kind of stuck with this makeshift uh, group of outside backs, and that seems to mean uh, that Andrew Farrell is out of the starting eleven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap up with a comment on threads. Be our friend on threads. If you're on threads, make sure you follow us on threads. Kevin C got a chance to watch MLS 360 before kickoff as a neutral. The refereeing in this league is horrendous. Agree. I, I, hey, can't get through a podcast without mentioning how terrible the refereeing is in major league soccer. I don't think there was any controversy in this one besides the VAR bizarre review, uh, but that wasn't on the referee. That was on the uh, VAR referee. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that's it. I don't think we have anything else to talk about, Sam. Anything else on your mind tonight? Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm doing good. I'm running on basically like four hours of sleep because, as an avid F1 fan, after covering the Reds game, uh, I stayed up and watched the Japanese Grand Prix, and uh, it was kind of interesting. So that was good. Kind of interesting. That's a very good way to put F1 this year. Max Verstappen won easily, uh, and the race was kind of interesting. That recaps a lot of uh, the races this year. So, Sam, where can people find you on social media, and where can people find your work? Yeah, I mean, definitely follow the Blazing Musket. Uh, I'm not really out here tweeting, um, but yeah, definitely follow the Blazing Musket at Blazing Musket on Twitter. Definitely make sure to check out all our work at the site of theblazingmusket.com. Uh, if you would be so kind, become a free subscriber. If you would be even kinder, become a paid subscriber. Uh, but yeah, check out all our work there, covering all the teams across New England, the Upper Mont Green, Hartford Athletic. Uh, Rhode Island FC, and of course, your Newman Revolution. And also, too, we got our Instagram. Check us out there at Blazing Musket. And we got a YouTube channel posting all post game uh, pressers and stuff like that. So you can watch them and uh, see, hear my lovely voice, ask questions. Uh, but Greg, always a blast to uh, be on. And uh, glad that nothing crazy happened the last three weeks and the revolution are perfectly fine. <laughs> Ah, what a fun time to do this. You can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. We are at Revolution Recap on all of those platforms. Also, thank you to our sponsor, Bet Online. When you sign up at Bet Online, be sure to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Also, be sure to follow the Blazing Musket on Twitter or X or whatever it's called at Blazing Musket and subscribe to their Substack, whether it's a paid or free option, and you'll receive every piece of Revolution news to your email inbox. Also, be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to everyone uh, who voted for us in the podcast awards on Twitter. Uh, there was kind of a silly little poll for best MLS podcast. I believe we finished in third place, but we're the best Eastern Conference podcast. So that's something. Um, we lost to the Corner of the Galaxy and Third Degree, which are much bigger platforms, and they do a very, very phenomenal job. So it was an honor to be uh, in the mix with them. But thank you to everyone who took the time to uh, vote for us there. It was really an honor to be 
making the final four uh, on that poll. So thank you to uh, everyone who did it there. Uh, and also, please uh, make sure you rate and review us five stars. I want to give a shout out to Duncan for the very kind review uh, on iTunes. Uh, made my day seeing that there. So if you haven't given us a review on iTunes or Spotify, uh, please give us a review there. We'll be back following the Charlotte game next week, and hopefully we'll be talking about three points. Hopefully we'll be talking about this ship turning around. Um, but if not, we'll be slamming that panic button, uh, and we can't. We, we look forward to doing that. So until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.